the decline of social media. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Scott Monty, writer, speaker, and principal at Scott Monty Strategies. Welcome, Scott. Hi, Tanya. Nice to be here. So give us a brief summary of your journey through the C-suite and the role that social media played along the way. Sure. Um, you know, I joined Ford uh, over a decade ago at the executive level. I was just on the cusp of the global carpocalypse. Oh, what fun that was. I'm sure you remember Ford was pulled right into that with the other two U.S. automakers, but had a different story to tell. And we used social and digital to help differentiate ourselves in that. And it was an exciting time because it was uh, at a time when Ford was beginning to um, have a resurgence in the U.S. market. And I thought as I joined in 2008 that by 2010, uh, social media would kind of hit mainstream. And with Ford kind of running on all cylinders, as it were, the two would kind of intersect and there would just be this explosion of activity and response. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, makes me look like a, uh, you know, like like some kind of a fortune teller or or, or VC. I don't know which, um, but it worked out really well. What happened was Ford saw that it, as it was transforming its its products and, and and putting more technology in them, it needed to use more technology in how it told its story, and all of the executives began to realize this as well and started to use social as a strategic utility, so they could see how Ford was performing against the competition. They could tell stories in uh, vastly different ways that humanized the brand. You know, this automotive brand that still had the founder's name on the logo. Um, so, you know, technology and humanity come together. This was perfection. And it worked really well for a while. I mean, Ford was pioneering certain areas. We were the first car company to reveal a car on Facebook for the first time. Um, so over time, you know, as we began to use uh, to use social with legal and IT and customer service and and corporate communications, obviously, um, marketing began to get more interested in it and to see the potential as the audiences grew and they were seduced by the massive reach that all of the social networks promised. You know, Facebook in particular, kind of dangling this carrot out there, and it was similar to television only with more targeting ability and more metrics than television. So they followed that. And what you basically had was the same kind of interaction and advertising that happened on other platforms simply plopped down on top of social. And that may have gotten you some numbers, but to me, it took the humanity out of what we were trying to accomplish. And watching more brands do that and watching the C-suite kind of pivot from shiny object to shiny object, it made me realize that there's a bigger, there's a bigger issue at play. And that's why I kind of branched off to start my own business and to coach executives, particularly the C-suite on the things that matter, things that have always mattered to people over time and to connect with them on a human level and to use empathy in their strategy setting and, and ultimately to become virtuous leaders. And you have set a great example of that yourself. In fact, uh, you know, you and I have been talking about social media with each other for easily over a decade. And you've got some great stories uh, about how you first started. So, and it held so much promise. There was so much opportunity. What happened to turn it bad? 
that, that's tough to say. I don't think there's any one thing that I can pinpoint. I mean, part of it is, is human nature. You know, we just, we, we, we all see what happens. We eventually all go there and, and, and flock to it. And in this case, the technology, I think, had to resort to algorithms. You know, I, I, still, <laughs> I, I still help educate my parents, my mom in particular, because my dad isn't online. I help educate my mom in telling her, you don't see everything that people post on Facebook, all of your friends. You only get a, a, a selection of that. And that was news to her. She thought that she should be seeing everything. And, and just volume-wise, society can't handle that. And so the question is, whose lens is the algorithm actually being uh, utilized by? You know, I mean, you can certainly make tweaks, but, you know, folks like you and I that understand the tech and are maybe a little more geeky, we can tweak our Facebook feed, our Twitter feed to our heart's content. But most people, not so much. And so they're victims of the technology. And to me, when you've got humans and technology meeting together, it's important for humans to have a little more control than the technology does, right? To be in the driver's seat, uh, to, to use a, an automotive uh, analogy. And, and I know you look at how all the autonomous vehicles are rolling out right now, they still require people behind the seats for the most part, behind the steering wheels for the most part. There are no cars where you can step in other than the experiment that Waymo is doing down in Phoenix, where there's nobody in the car driving. We may eventually get there, but we need human interaction, more human interaction right now to make that kind of possibility a reality. The price of free use um, and, and certainly platforms like Twitter and Facebook, they're free to consumers to use, except that the cost, right, is our lives, our data, and in mm. some cases, our souls. I mean, <laughs> is, is, it, is it time to admit that the free use business model has run its course? Um, maybe, maybe. I, I saw recently that uh, Jimmy Wales launched the WT social network, WT social, uh, and, and there's a charge associated with that. $12.99 a month or $100 a year, I think is what they're asking. And the idea is that we will never sell ads. We will never compromise your privacy. Well, there's a price for that. You know? and, and I remember a study just last year where people were asked, um, if you had to pick a fee that a brand could pay you to give up your data, unsolicited, you know, just unfiltered, just give us your data, how much would you want? What, what would your fee be for that? And most people said $150. People give up their data, their rights for $150. And that's insane. So you put that up against $100 a year to retain your data. It seems like a bargain to me, right? But for most people, it's going to be a struggle. Why? Because humanity is on Facebook. That's where everybody they know is. It's where their history is. Well, I got news for you. I, I talked with a... Um, a college class, uh, I think it was a technology class a couple of weeks ago, and asked them about the platforms they were on. And I asked specifically about Facebook. Is anyone on Facebook? And believe it or not, of these 18, 19 year olds, a few hands went up sheepishly. And I asked them specifically, I said, okay, why? Why are you on Facebook? <laughs> and they said, and I swear to God, it's because that's where my grandmother is and I need to stay connected with her. Well, guess what? With an aging population, 
that's not going to be around forever. So you see why Facebook is pouring resources into Instagram, into stories, which makes it more competitive with the likes of Snapchat and whatnot, into WhatsApp, which is a private, <laughs> private messaging app, um, where more people are withdrawing now. You're seeing more people get into these smaller groups or one-to-one, one-to-few conversations. They appreciate the privacy element. So if something like WT comes along, and I don't know if that's the answer, if there's another one that's going to break out, you have to get people over to it first before you can entice more people to join, which is a whole chicken and egg kind of thing. It's the whole Yogi Berra, you know, nobody goes there anymore because it's too crowded. Um, at some point, there's got to be something that causes people to say, I need to go somewhere else. Tell us about the ethics. The ethics with an X. Um, I've been astounded for many years with Facebook's lack of ethics. You know, they constantly break our trust to the point where it's laughable to think that we should trust Facebook. And they get on this advertising campaign that, you know, oh, we, we, we need to win your trust back. We want to be trustworthy. We're transparent which again is a laughable notion. Yeah, they're transparent for the most technically enabled people, but beyond that, they're not. They keep doing things to breach privacy or uh, user data or you know, other things along the way. This has been going on for a decade. And it finally got to a point where, again, I was talking with someone about, well, where do you go? If, if you're sick of Facebook, which includes Instagram and WhatsApp, where else can you go? Google Plus is out, so where do you go now? And, and they basically shrugged their shoulders. I said, yeah, it's gonna take some of us, one of us at least to start, to do something. I said, it reminds me of that old, that old line from Dr. Seuss's The Lorax, unless, unless someone like you cares a whole lot more, nothing's going to get better, it's not. <laughs> That's exactly where we are right now. And I also decided at that point, why not take the entire and rewrite it? Exactly what I did. As we look towards a new decade, what lessons should our social media experience over the last 10 years teach us about the next 10? Wow. Um, I suppose that it's that everything is cyclical. You know, we see trends happening again and again. And I, I, I mean, you see all the books behind me. I, I like reading. I like history. Uh, and, and they say those who don't know history are destined to repeat it. Well, history doesn't necessarily repeat itself. It does rhyme. And I think there are opportunities for us to learn from our mistakes. But we have to recall what those mistakes are. We have to understand what human nature is. And, and if we've seen these things happen on platform after platform, then we can pretty well predict what's going to happen on the next one. And to me, that's always been one of the, uh, the faults of Facebook, in particular with, with Mark Zuckerberg. I wish he had studied, I wish he had stayed in school and, and finished his degree in psychology or in some other humanity uh, to, to, to help undergird the technology that is just so fantastic to understand what eventually would have happened if you put millions and millions and millions of people together. 
And I think we need to keep that in mind for whatever the next step is. Scott Monty, writer, speaker, and CEO and principal at Scott Monty Strategies. If somebody wants to connect with you, Scott, what's the best way they can do that? Easiest way is to go to scottmonty.com. You can sign up for my timeless and timely newsletter there, and all my other contact details can be found there. Thanks again, uh, Scott. It's always great having you on. And if you guys want to find more of my interviews, you can do that right here or go to tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.